Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital, where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Hey, church. Hi. Hi. Hey, um, I'm Danielle. That's right. There's two Danielles in the church. This is your lucky day. But no, for real, like I was 16 when I met the first other Danielle ever in my whole life. So the fact that there's two Danielles and we both went to Syracuse University makes this really, really cool. Go orange. Um, So... uh, What an incredible morning already. I feel like I don't even need to preach. Um, Amazing job, worship team, leading us into the presence of God. And um, a special shout out to the bass player. He's cute, right? Um, It's my my husband, if you don't know. Can I get your number? (laughs) Um, We celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary on Friday. I know, I look too young. I did get married when I was seven, so it all makes sense now. Um, But our our series, it's week three of our our series, and it's uh, Are We There Yet? It's all about this journey, right, that we take with God. And marriage is sort of fun because it might be the one thing in our lives where we're not really looking toward the destination. We're actually excited for the journey. I mean, think about it. Like, in your life, you're like, oh, if only I can get to this when I graduate high school or when I graduate college and get a job. And when I get here, I get there. Then it'll happen. Well, marriage is funny because we don't really think about the destination, do we? (laughs) Because what's the end of marriage? Uh, death? (laughs) Hey, sweetie. (laughs) Till death do us part. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. I really, like, want to get there, but I don't want to get there, if you know what I mean. So, so in our series today, we're, we're, talking, uh, we're talking about a journey this summer, and, and today's journey is with a character, a guy named Barak. Everyone know the story of Barak? That's right, you don't, because he's a very small character in the Bible. And so we're going to do a little bit of, uh, we're going to do a little history lesson through the book of, the, uh, through the Old Testament, And then we're going to dig into our main text today, which is Judges chapter 4. So, the Israelites. In the book of of Exodus, the Israelites, God's people, they're in captivity in the land of Egypt. And God uses Moses to bring the Israelites out of captivity. And then through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Israelites, who are really disobedient, wander around a desert for 40 years. Then Moses dies and his servant Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. And when God sends them into the promised land, he says, I want you to go, I want you to take over the entire land, kill everybody, wipe them all out, so there's nobody left for you to marry or intermingle with, don't worship their gods, have nothing to do with their culture, get rid of all of them. So the Israelites, in their true fashion, disobey God and do not kill everybody. Instead, they marry, they intermarry, and they start worshiping the gods of the people who live in the land. So now we find ourselves in Judges, in the book of Judges. And the Israelites are living in the promised land. They're in God's promise, but they're not in the fullness of God's promise because they haven't lived their call in obedience. And so they're being 
harassed, if you will, by the tribes that still live in the promised land. So God raises up these judges, hence the title of the book, and these judges are people who hear God's voice and can help lead the Israelites. And when there's a godly judge in the land, the people, uh, the Israelites, are able to sort of overcome the people, the tribes in the land that are harassing them. But when the judge is dead, the Israelites disobey and fall back into sin, and then the nations in the land overtake them. So this is sort of the back and forth pattern that we're in in the book of Judges. So Judges chapter 4, our main text today. That's all the history I'm going to give you. I don't like history. It's not my thing. Um, <laughs> I'm more of a science-y, nerdy, how-to-sells-work kind of girl, so there's not a whole lot of that in the Bible. Good news, there's a whole lot of other good stuff in there for people like me. Um, so, so in Judges chapter 4, the Israelites are being oppressed by King Jabin of the Canaanite people. And his, the commander of King Jabin's army is a guy named Sisera. Sisera is a ferocious leader. He has 900 iron chariots. It's like a big number, I think, especially back then. Um, and they're crying out to God because they're being ruthlessly oppressed by King Jabin and Sisera, the commander of King Jabin's army. So God raises up the judge Deborah, now, Deborah, the only girl judge, and she's a prophetess. So, hey girls, let's <laughs> dream big. <laughs> anyway, um, and God raises up Deborah to be a judge over the land and then, and then gives Deborah a word. So Deborah hears from God and in Judges chapter four, um, verse six, it says that Deborah, I have it here so I can read it. Um, Deborah sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord God of Israel commands you, go and take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots, all 900 of them, and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. The story goes on. Barak, of course, is like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to go. But no, that's not what Barak says. What he says instead is, uh, well, if, if you'll go with me, I'll go then. But if you're not going with me, I won't go. So but Deborah, you know, being patient, wise judge, she says, okay, very well then. I'll go with you. But because of the way you're reacting to this, because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours. But Sisera will be delivered into the hands of a woman. Again, whoo. Anyway. Um, so this is what happens. So, so Barak agrees to this plan. You know, he's sort of negotiated with God here a little bit. He agrees to the plan, and he goes and he gets 10,000 warriors from these small tribes of Israel and takes them up to Mount Tabor. And then God does exactly what he says he's going to do, and he brings Sisera and the army, his army, to the Kishon River. So now Barak and Deborah are standing from the mountain, looking down at Sisera's army at the Kishon River, and Deborah's like, go! <laughs> in verse 14, this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Has the Lord not gone on ahead of you? So Sisera goes, and as the story follows, uh, I mean, um, Barak goes, takes his army. As the story goes, they wipe out everyone. They completely destroy Sisera's army. Except Sisera, he runs away, leaves his army, and goes and hides in the tent 
of a woman named Jael. Jael and her husband happen to be friends with the king, so he thinks he's going to be safe hiding here, right? Jael's like, yeah, 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 come on in. Here's some water. You want to take a nap? He says, oh, yeah, I'm so tired. That battle was tough. I think all my, all my soldiers are dead. So she, he takes a nap, and at, while he's sleeping, Jael takes a tent peg and pokes it through his skull and kills him. <laughs> no nice way to say it. Why not sugarcoat it, right? And so, so Jael wins by killing the commander, and she gets the honor for that. And that's the story of Barak. He was the reluctant leader who said yes um, and defeated the army of Sisera. Um, so there's a couple of things I want to point out to you about this story. Okay, The first is that um, what we see in Barak's life is that the big stuff is meant for you. So he's just this small guy, right? Like, he's not King David. He's not Moses. He's not Elijah. He's not one of these big-name guys or girls that we read about in the Bible. He's literally just a dude, like, living in Naphtali, which, of course, is one of the tiny little tribes of Israel that we don't hear about, like, ever, right? So he's just this small guy, but God calls him to something really big. John 10.10 says... The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. An abundant life is not a small life. It's a life filled with big things, right? John 14, 12. This is a great one. It says, I tell you the truth. If anyone has faith in me, they will do the things that I've been doing. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. If anyone who has faith in me, they'll do the things that I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. Okay, so what did Jesus do? All right. So it gets like real here, okay? So he preached the good news, right? The gospel. That was his message. He, um, he healed sick. In fact, the Bible says he healed everybody who came to him. He cleansed lepers. He set people free from oppression. From um, He raised the dead. So when we hear things like, greater things than these, you'll also do if you have faith in me. I think maybe God is challenging his people to greater things. And I wonder why we might be content with the day-to-day. We all have a routine. I get up at six, I drink a cup of coffee, I read a book, many days I exercise, some days I don't. I go to work, I come home, I cook dinner, I fall asleep on the couch 30 minutes after we turn on a television show without fail, day in and day out. I'm settling for small things sometimes, I think, when maybe God is calling us to greater things. So why is that? Why are we willing to settle for small things in our life? I think we can see that in this story, too. We can see it in the life of Barak. Um, I think it's a faith issue, guys. So, point two, on your journey, let's remember that God always wins, and he grows our faith in the process. This is one story, okay? This is one story of Jabin losing to, to Barak, one story of God's victory. But if you read the Bible... Every story is a story of God's victory. God always wins. The neat thing we see in Judges chapter 4 here, in verses 6 through 8, right? It's when Deborah calls Barak, 
he says, go and take 10,000 men. That's the only thing that, that Barak has to do because God does everything else. He says, I, God, will lure Sisera, and I will give him into your hands. See, when God calls us to something, he's also setting us up for success, right? He gave Barak the high ground, the victorious position, and then he delivered him into their hands, right? That was God. He did it. All Barak had to do is say yes. He had one little thing, and that was to respond with yes. Isaiah 55, 11 says, the words that come out of my mouth do not come back empty. They will do the work I sent them out to do. They will complete the assignment I gave, the, I gave them. See, when God speaks, it, it's with a purpose. It's to accomplish something. And the Bible says that it will always happen. God will do what he says he's going to do. I think the question for us is, are we going to believe him? And are we going to be part of it? Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 through 22, it says, speaking about Jesus, God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne deep in heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all and has the final word on everything. Wow, no name and no power is exempt from the rule of God. Not just now, but forever. That's the kind of God that I can put my faith in. And I can say yes to that, right? All right. So let's say you were a little bit more like Barak than we want to admit. And we're a little bit afraid to say yes. I think it's okay. Here's why. Okay, so in this story... Deborah says the honor's going to go to a woman, and sure, Jael is the one that kills the commander. But if we fast forward a little while later to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, does anybody know what we call Hebrews chapter 11? The Hall of Faith, right, is like its nickname? Yeah, because this is where um, you get the list of all of the people that have done incredible things in the history of the church, right? So let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. It says, and how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of Gideon. Barak? Oh, he's in the hall of faith. Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. His little yes made it to chapter 11, guys. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched flames of fire, and escaped, the, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength, and they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Here's the thing. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect to be used by God. I would say maybe at some point we don't bargain with God so much, but he, Barak bargained and said, okay, but if Deborah goes with me, and God still used him, God still defeated the army, had his way, and Barak still ended up in the hall of faith. What? Guys, we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to live perfect lives. We don't have to not be broken humans because let's face it, we're all a little bit broken. 
We come to God in humility and in surrender, and we say yes with the little bit of faith that we have, and we can watch what God can do with it. So when I, when I think about this, I think about um, a little bit of my own life, and in preparing this, how challenged I was by um, my own faith journey, and realizing that Sometimes life can be hard, and sometimes our faith is challenged, and we believe God for something, and maybe it doesn't go the way we hoped it would go. So 12, 12 years ago, my, um, my mom died of cancer, and eight months later, my dad died from his addiction, and I prayed, and I believed that God would heal them. And he didn't, and it's okay. But it wasn't okay then, and I wasn't okay. And I took my faith, and I bottled it up, and I said, okay, I'll pray for you, but eh, maybe God doesn't answer my prayers. But God strengthens us in battle. In our weakness, he's made strong. And so that faith, if you take it and you bottle it up and you say, no, it's not for me. No, no, God doesn't do that. This big stuff, this like, that's not what God has for me. Well, you're not letting God have victory in your life. God's going to win. But is God going to win with you? Is God going to win in the journey of your life? Are you going to let circumstances and things that have challenged you hold you back from what God wants to do in your life. So when it comes down to it, um, I think ultimately our destination, and this is my third point here, our destination is not about you. The destination of our journey is not about you. And this is a lesson I've had to learn through the years. It's so easy for us to think about, like I said in the beginning, the next step. If I can just find that right someone that I want to exchange phone numbers with and then smile at when he plays the bass every week, then my life is going to be good. Maybe if I can get that promotion, my finances will finally be in order, and then I can. Maybe if I can overcome my anxiety or my depression, then I can step out and, and actually talk to that person I've been afraid to talk to. Maybe if I can get all these other things and I can get to that destination, maybe then my life will be complete and be fulfilled. That's not what it's about. Now, we've preached lots and lots and lots and lots of messages because God does want all those things for you. God does want us to have great relationships. God does want us to have great and fulfilling jobs and big careers and happy lives and beautiful families. He wants us set free from fear and anxiety and sickness. All of that stuff is what God wants for us. But that's because our, the destination is about God and not about you. See, in Judges chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of Israel cried out to God for help. Ruthlessly oppressed. See, God's heart is for the people who are out there who don't know him. God's heart are for the, is for the people who are ruthlessly oppressed. 
Why does God want to bless our lives? So that we can reach the people who are ruthlessly oppressed. See, the call and the directive of God is not just so we can have nice stuff, but it's to reach those lost people around us. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, this is a prophecy about Jesus, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. This is a prophecy about Jesus, but remember John 14, 12 says, greater things than these we will also do if we have faith. Guys, this is a prophecy about us. This is the call and the directive on our lives as believers, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me, is upon you to preach good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives and set them free from darkness. That, guys, is what the destination of our journey is. That's what it's about. God's heart is for the lost people who are oppressed. And, and the question is, will you respond in faith today to that call? In Judges chapter 5, after this story, after victory, they go on and they sing a song. <laughs> um, and in the song, verse, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wake up, Deborah. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up and sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead the captives away. What's God saying? God is calling out to us to say, wake up to the people around us that need the gospel message. Wake up and capture them and bring them into the family of God. I'm going to close with my, um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. My old Bible here is ripped at this spot and the pages are split apart. It's Isaiah chapter 6. And this is a vision that Isaiah has of the Lord. And it says that um, he saw the Lord high and exalted and his robe filled the temple. And there were angels in the temple and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And when the angels sang, the temple shook was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord Almighty. So in this moment of humility, an angel comes and takes coal from the fire and touches it to his mouth and says, behold, I have cleansed your lips. Your guilt is gone and your sin has been forgiven. And then Isaiah hears this, he hears the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'm convinced actually that there's one response in our hearts to the forgiveness that we receive when we humble ourselves before God. And that is, here I am, send me. And I believe today God is asking his church to respond to his call, to his broken heart when he looks out over the world. And he's asking us to say, here I am, send me. So we do something a little different. We've got this amazing band behind me. We're gonna stand and we're gonna respond to the Lord today. 
by singing again the chorus that we sang earlier. God is so cool, guys. I didn't plan the song list, but God did. We're gonna sing, here I am. We're gonna sing, I hear you call. We're gonna run through that chorus. We're gonna respond to God together. You call, I am available.